0: Welcome to "Death Do Us Part" podcast, hosted by my wife Jamie. Hello, and myself, Mark. What up, y'all?
1: Hey, I thought you didn't like the tea. Why are you drinking it?
0: Uh, something to drink other than water.
1: And okay, weirdo.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Whatever.
1: Yeah.
0: Hater's so, gonna hate.
1: What the hell? Did did we record this? We did a Patreon.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So to to the Patreons, I'm sorry. I was stuck on stupid that day. I don't know what the fuck was wrong with me. It happens. I couldn't talk. I couldn't put a fucking thought together.
0: Yeah, it happens. And I oh. was sick as shit.
1: Yeah, you threw up in the middle of it. I did. Yeah. So.
0: <laughs> I did. But that's where we got we were it done. At. We got it done. The show must go on.
1: I kept saying I'm like, just we'll we'll redo it tomorrow because I was pissed that I kept fucking fumbling around. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, Gimme the garbage can. I know. Fuck, man. No. So Was it our Patreon? It was. Was it? No. No. Uh uh-uh. uh. It was not a Patreon. We did David Moust.
0: Yeah. So episode forty nine.
1: Okay, so I'm lying. so it wasn't so to everybody listening. I'm sorry that I was. Yeah, it wasn't a Patreon. A fumbling fucking idiot. But whatever. I mean, you it know, happens. They touch my I brain. I don't
0: think it was that bad.
1: I'm missing a piece of skull. Whatever.
0: I didn't think it was that bad. I did.
1: I did. Mm. That's why when you threw up, I was almost like, oh, thank God we can do this. Tomorrow.
0: <laughs> oh no! I wanted to get through it. Like <laughs> yeah, fuck I that, know. dude! I'm sick as shit. <laughs> I just fucking threw up my guts. Like, we're finishing this shit.
1: Uh, And we did. Yeah, we We did. We fucking got through it. We did. I don't (laughs) know how.
0: So. But, well, I'm feeling better finally. You're having a good day, it seems like.
1: Yeah, my head's squishy, but I'm okay.
0: It's healing. Yeah. It's healing good. Mm -hmm. So. Yesterday was a big day for me. Yesterday? Mm-hmm.
1: When was yesterday?
0: I signed my book
1: deal. Oh, my God. I'm a fucking idiot. Thanks, babe. Sorry. Show us how much you care. I'm the one who read the fucking contract, too. <laughs> so, Mark wrote a book, guys. And he signed a publishing contract yesterday. Mm-hmm. So.
0: So, it should be out in a couple months. I mean, it, there's a couple procedures yeah or yeah you know like it's got to go to like an editor editing and shit like and, that yeah and then uh like the cover photo we got to think of
1: dude what the fuck happened to us like you um wrote a book i know i'm about to be a crafting motherfucker this whole week at like what i know what who are we
0: i know right but, guys, when it's finished, if you need some motivation, it's, it's, it's a motivational excellent. book. It is. So, just all about, you know, all the struggles that I went through, but it's... The journey. I try to, I try to make it as relatable as possible,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know, just to show that there is hope.
1: Because, really, if if one person benefits from it, that's then all it's all that, worth
0: it. Yeah, that's, that's you know? all that matters to me.
1: So, and it is... It's all that matters. It's great. It's great.
0: But it's very open. and
1: Yeah. It it definitely shows that you can claw your way out of rock bottom. Yeah. You know? So, so
0: it's called uh, Progress, Not Perfection. I
1: thought you forgot the name of your own book.
0: No, I just didn't want to mispronounce <laughs> it. But my brother actually, I I couldn't think of a title and I was going back and forth. Yeah. And then one day my brother Mike actually texted me. You know, he'll send me motivational shit Which every once in a while. Up. And that was what he told me. And I was like, you know what? That's, that's
1: a good fucking that's idea. That's a fucking
0: great... I, I love that. Dude,
1: we should have him on here. Uh, no, because you guys would fuck around the whole yeah,
0: time. Yeah, we we would. We'd fuck around. Yeah. He, I, I don't even think he knows what a podcast is, so...
1: Um, Jackie didn't. His wife... I honestly, I still don't, I still don't think she knows.
0: (laughs) No. And like my mom, she, she has no no clue what, Mm -mm. what a podcast is. Mm
1: -mm. I don't even know how I stumbled upon podcasts.
0: I mean, the the only one that I used to watch was Joe Joe Rogan. Rogan. Yeah. That's the only, only one I used to watch and listen to.
1: Because I would always like on the way to work and on the way home, I'd, I would always do music. I don't and know then how you
0: I... then you got big into it, yeah. Like and that's hardcore. That's why I was like, well, if you're so into it and you like, you know, playing the police, you know, watching, fuck yeah, yeah. When we're watching our fucking TV shows, dude, I should have fuck? been a
1: motherfucking detective.
0: I, I'll give it to you; you would have been, in, you would have been good police. See, Mm-hmm.
1: You, you I been though good. like. I'm not chasing you.
0: No, but I'm going to
1: shoot you in the leg. Here, (laughs) here's like, I would
0: have to settle you down because you're like... Oh, yeah. Because my partner, Ivan, like he... Can
1: you imagine me?
0: (laughs) Well, his problem in the beginning was like, he wanted to arrest everyone Uh and like, just finish the case in 20 minutes. Oh, my God. Like, dude, no. Like, it's... You got to stretch it out. You got to make sure you have victims interviewed, witnesses interviewed, the bad guy interviewed. You know, like, there, there's so much, you know, if there's any video out there, video canvassing, witness canvassing. And he's just, it, it took him a couple Dude, months to.
1: How fucking spastic would him and I be on a call together?
0: Oh, you guys. Like, w-
1: you, I mean, we've been on several calls no, together. But I mean, would, like, as the police together. You
0: guys would fuck around.
1: We, we, oh, my God. Everybody's going in cuffs. You'd be
0: slapping asses and shit.
1: Everybody's going in cuffs. Yeah, like we we. I mean, the last call we were on, we were taking selfies. <laughs> uh,
0: which doesn't <laughs> surprise me.
1: Eh, Hopefully, whatever. no
0: one died on that call.
1: No, that was the that was the call with the woman who is the reason we met. Oh really? And I kept looking at her, and I'm like, she looks really fucking familiar. And Then I'm like, oh my
0: god. I thought she passed to be honest I think with she you. has since I think she has yeah but then she, no she wasn't in good shape
1: no, her, no no and she was a caregiver which was terrible but we got called there because um she was stealing cable and electric from the houses next door to
0: her Oh, well, was she really how
1: the fuck do you do that and yeah. nobody nobody <laughs> notices giant <laughs> orange extension cord yeah what
0: <laughs> yeah No. Yeah. that's hmm. awesome
1: oh my goodness so we got a couple patreons oh we got some new ones you guys are gonna be so fucking proud of me
0: yeah
1: it's a my now
0: good job good job
1: (laughs) now i think i mentioned michelle and diane Mm -hmm. from a few weeks ago i apologize if i'm double saying it
0: a few weeks ago you mean a couple days ago no no
1: no 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 these two i can't remember if i mentioned them oh i need to um stop being fucking trash and start writing it down yeah which by the way guys i finally fixed the fucking website last night
0: good job because
1: mark won't shut up about it uh, i know so i fixed it if you guys want to go check it out it's uh dduppodcast.com.com i'm still working on it but and don't look at the pictures of me they're very unflattering <laughs> they're awful um and then the new ones we have heather and jennifer awesome and Rebecca's on there, but that's only because she fucked up her first one, so she's on there twice. All right, good
0: job. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> thank you, guys. Thank you for signing up. Dude, we you. Guys love you guys
1: are amazing. Yeah,
0: you guys are awesome, so.
1: And the fan art you guys saw on Facebook, mm-hmm. it's going on a fucking t-shirt.
0: Yes. Roxanne, thank you. So. We appreciate it.
1: Um. So today
0: today is a
1: request okay from lynn my stepmom okay um it's fucking sad (laughs) like it's it's really sad good start um i mean it's a famous one okay so
0: yeah
1: um we are doing natalie wood okay so it's very sad um she wait
0: babe is it sad
1: babe i'm telling you reading her biography (laughs) i was like she's fucking crazy like i just want to hug you Mm-hmm. Um, it's sad. She was a a big, um, not promoter, but like a big producer be- believer in therapy and stuff. So oh. like her and Marilyn Monroe were the first two, not just female, but first two actors in that time to mm-hmm. to really be open about their mental health. Oh, really? So um, Natalie Wood at one point had it put in her contract that she had to have time off daily. To go see her therapist. Oh, wow. So. Good for her. Yeah. And and she, she was not quiet about it. She made it very well known. Yeah. She did a few movies that she felt represented her life and was excited that she got to do a project regarding mental health. Yeah. You know? So.
0: That's cool. Yeah. All
1: right. I, I apologize in advance too, babe, because I don't know how fucking interested you're going to be in this until the end.
0: You don't... You don't think this will be my my taste? Your jam? Yeah,
1: it might be jam. It, uh,
0: I don't know. I don't know. It might be whatever. I'll just do the guy thing. Uh huh. Uh huh. Sure. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah. Oh, look at that. Oh wow. Uh So,
1: um, what I was surprised about between this one and then what the fuck. Was it Marilyn Monroe, too? I was listening to a podcast on Marilyn Monroe, I believe. Oh, my gosh. And then doing this one. Frank fucking Sinatra. Dude. What? You got around. Like, he's huge, actually, in Natalie Wood's story. No, He was big in Marilyn Monroe's story. But the one thing that everybody said about him was that he was like a big, like, papa bear. Like, he protected you. Mm -hmm. But he's, like, huge in this.
0: But so you was a man whore? Yeah. Well, that'd
1: be oh me, yeah. Huh? I mean, it's fucking Frank Sinatra. Yeah. Why wouldn't he be? I seriously. And why wouldn't the girls go flacking? I, mean, I mean, shit,
0: even dude, sing to me, bro? This is what
1: I'm fucking saying. <laughs> I'll hold your whiskey, play the piano. <laughs> right. I got you. He's hanging above our TV. Yep. yep. He is.
0: I bought that. You did. That was a good present. That was wasn't a it?
1: really good fucking present. Yeah. Yeah. You did good on that one because I, yeah. I love Meason Frank.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I do. I'm going to get his mugshot. Maybe we could get his mugshot shot here. Yeah. Hang that'd be cool. Here. Yeah. So.
0: That'd be cool. All right. You. Why don't you uh, hit me with it?
1: All right. So, before she became Hollywood's child, Natalie Wood was known as Natasha, daughter to Russian immigrant parents. My people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I didn't even... Duh. <laughs> I'm a dummy. Um, Natasha dreamed of being a ballerina, but was forced into acting by a mother who fulfilled her own dreams of stardom, stardom through Natasha. From the start of her acting career at age four to her mysterious death at age 43, Natasha's life would become far far more compelling and haunting than any movie she starred in. So in the beginning, I'm going to call her Natasha. Yeah. Until they change her name, then I will call her Natalie. Okay. 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 All right. So Maria is Natasha's mom. Uh, Her love of drama and embellishment didn't start with her second daughter, Natasha, like you would think it was. Uh, Maria was born somewhere in Siberia, most likely the town of Barnall, but she wouldn't fucking tell anybody. Uh, she would tell people she grew up on a luxury estate with a Chinese cook, three governesses, and a nanny for each child. Ooh. Now I thought a governess was a nanny. Apparently, a governess is just like your bitch.
0: Oh shit! Yeah, I, I have no clue. I,
1: uh, so I'm mm. learning a lot. Let's mm, see that. Um, she also stated that she had been related to the Romanovs. Am I saying that right? I, Russian royalty. Sure. How the they're your fucking people.
0: Yeah, but I don't live in Russia. Ugh.
1: The fuck? Uh Maria also said her parents took her to China, which she did end up they did um immigrate to China because of the war. Oh uh, but okay. she said she became a Chinese princess. Ooh. I feel like you have to be Chinese to be a Chinese princess. Uh yeah, I would just say, say so. so. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um so ooh, this I like she was very into um like gypsy culture, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, Maria at one point told her youngest daughter that she was born to gypsy parents who left her on a hillside, where she was taken in by the Zudalovs, which is who her parents were. Uh, that same daughter would later say that Maria was quote frightening in her ability to bend reality and convince others she was speaking the truth because she didn't because she did believe everything that came out of her mouth.
0: Hmm.
1: So. All right. Um, the Bolshevik Revolution forced Maria and her family to flee to China. So they did go to China. Uh, Maria loved to talk of how she'd been a great dancer, once being referred to as a professional ballerina, when in reality she took one class as a teenager but was quickly pulled out by her parents because they believed that dancers and performers fell into a category with prostitutes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Maria and her sisters believed in Russian superstitions and quote did gypsy stuff.
0: Okay, uh,
1: she had her fortune read by a Harbin gypsy, who warned her to quote beware of dark water Ooh. because she would drown, and then predicted her second child quote would be a great beauty known throughout the world. Ooh. Gypsies aren't always wrong. Hmm. Uh, Much to the dismay of her parents, Maria eloped in her teens, marrying Russian-Armenian Alexei Tatilov. I'm saying all these names wrong, and I'm really fucking sorry. So, uh, pregnant in 1928, she said she was so tiny she was expected to die during childbirth. Now, this would come up later. I'll tell you that. Um, On October 28th, 1928, she gave birth to daughter Aksana. I like Um, that name. I'm sorry. It wasn't Aksana. (laughs) Avsana. Avsana?
0: Avsana. Yeah, um, so much.
1: So now her dad was pissed that she married this guy who was not Russian Orthodox. Yeah. So he picked up his granddaughter one day and took her to church and had her baptized by a Russian Orthodox priest who then renamed her Olga. Oh. A little over a year later, Maria and Alexei decided to move to America. Maria was initially rejected for the trip because of being underweight. Wow. On uh, January 12th, 1930, Alexi boarded the Tatio Maru in Japan, arriving in San Francisco 15 days later with nothing but $50 in his pocket. Ooh. Maria spent the next 10 months drinking a concoction of beer and milk to gain oh. weight. Right?
0: That's fucking disgusting. Uh,
1: if you're going to throw up during one of our shows, oh now would be the time. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, and what? she studied bookkeeping. Yeah. I don't. Who fucking thought? Mix this shit. See if it works. Dude, that's got to be fucking repulsive. Can you even? Just drink a fucking Guinness. They probably. Oh, they, I'm sure they had Guinness then. Yeah. Hmm. So Maria and Olga finally received um, their visas to travel in November of 1930. They ended up. I don't know how their trip was so much worse than his. Um, after spending a month on the Asama Maru. Maria and Olga arrived in San Francisco's Port of Angels on December 11th, 1930. Mm -hmm. Uh, Alexi met them at the pier, immediately telling Maria he still loved her, but he had a mistress because he's Armenian and they have to have women. Oh, okay. Fuck and you. was not aware of that. Yeah. Um, So Maria, she's like, well, fuck am I going to do? So she had to go home with him, you know? Yeah. So she was still living with him when she started dating a Russian sea captain named George Sitalipovich. According to Maria, she ended up literally, like, talk—excuse me, talking, you know, to him um, until Natalie's death. Oh, really? Yeah. So she said that he was the love of her life, the, the great passion. Of her life. But he obviously never left what he was doing and she yeah. didn't leave what she was doing. So yeah. uh, at one point, um, Alexi brought home a co-worker for dinner and it was 23-year-old Nikolai Zacharenko. That one I know I said right. Yeah, good job. Uh, Maria acquired him like he was a prize. Ooh. Saying, quote, all my girlfriends want him and I thought if they want him, I have to have them. So she did. So she left her husband and moved in with Nick, taking Olga with her. She filed for divorce in October of 1935, and in October of 1937, Maria gets pregnant. She was still entertaining the sea captain, and Nick was under the impression he couldn't conceive a child. Hmm. Now, I couldn't find anything anywhere saying that they did anything about this. It was just, this is Nick's baby. Hmm. End of story. Okay. Um, so according to Maria, by all accounts, the baby was next. On February 8th, 1938, the couple was married. Maria believed she was carrying the world-famous beauty the gypsy predicted and found a rich, childless Russian couple to be the godparents, allowing them to name the child.
0: Ooh. What? Sure. This one's weird. Yeah. Uh,
1: she, by the way, her name was Marusa. Maria, Marie, and Ruth. Okay. Yeah. She changed her name a lot. Um, On July 20th of 1938, Natalia Nikolaevna Zakarenko was born resembling, quote, an exquisite, perfectly formed China doll. Maria said Olga, quote, was old enough to take care of herself and pretty much pushed her to the fucking side. (laughs) Because this is her, her great beauty yeah yeah. poor olga um deuces olga was like whatever dude whatever Mm. um natasha would call maria mud why i don't know and i forgot to look it up Mm. okay i don't know so she called her mud when natasha was one nick changed their surname to gurdon uh zakarenko was quote too russian and kept him at the back of the line for immigrant workers so they would line up at the beginning of the day and he would have to be at the end of the line i get it dude yeah w get it uh nick was a drinker and would get violent and throw tantrums um he was never violent with the family even with maria provoking him which she did quite often i would have punched her in the fucking face done deal yeah Uh, Natasha grew up in a house of paranoia and superstitions. After Pearl Harbor, Nick moved the family to Sunnyvale. On the scenic drive through Santa Rosa in September of 1942, Maria just bought a bungalow. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She put $100 down, and that was literally every penny that they had, and went home and told Nick, pack your shit, we're moving. Uh, As luck would have it, two movies were being filmed in Santa Rosa at the time, one by Alfred Hitchcock. Uh-huh. There's a lot of or, names did you you're going to watch any of his movies. They're creepy. Like that's scary.
0: Yeah. I, like, I kind of miss those. That's like
1: a fuck you in the head scary. Yeah. yeah. But
0: I, I kind of miss those old time. Yeah. You know, like I I, I don't know. I, I'm just not into the whole sci-fi. It's gore now. That's go- all it is. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not I'm not into that. Like I, I like the old, you know, even like the 70s. Yeah. Like Hall- the original Halloween. Oh, fuck you. Like, that scared the shit out of me. I'm out. Dude, Mm-mm.
1: I'm just so saying. Listen, I'm going to be 40 in, what, two weeks? Yep. Still scares the shit out of me.
0: Oh, I yeah.
1: So, I love it. So you record every fucking one that comes on TV?
0: I do. Dick.
1: <laughs> so, uh, Maria would dress up four-year-old Natasha and follow the film crews. Hmm. On June 13th, 1943, the Santa Rosa Press Democrat printed the headline, quote movie stars to arrive in Santa Rosa today the director was Irving Pitchell and he would be filming a a movie called Happy Land he was casting locals for bit roles needing quote upwards of 300 extras the next morning Maria coached Natasha on how to create attention and how to get the director to like her she's four four Um, the two went downtown in search of the director they were getting ready to film a scene um, of soldiers in a parade. Um, what? Oh. Um, so there was a, they were filming a parade with a bunch of soldiers. So Maria, like, threw Natasha into the crowd. Uh, she said, quote, my mother made me go march with the soldiers. I really didn't want to do all this. I was kind of scared. Mother, of course, wanted me to attract attention.
0: Hmm. Can I just cut you off real quick? Yeah. So I get a text from Jax. Dad, I'm okay. It was my ring that fell.
1: <laughs> I did hear it. I didn't hear anything. Um, I just got a message from one of our listeners. Yeah. She's listening to an older episode. Yeah. she wants to know if I have a picture of Jax with the duct tape or the electrical tape mustache <laughs> when he was a baby. Yeah, it's on I my do. Facebook. Yeah. 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 Got it. Um, so after a few days of following the company from location to location, Irving Pitchell began to notice a, quote, quaintly pretty little child with an um, absorbed expression. At the second week, Maria told Natasha to go sit on the director's lap and sing. Ooh. What? Okay. Hi, to catch a predator. Yeah, right? Not that he is one, because he wasn't. But that's... No, no, not my
0: point. Hi, can you take a seat here? And people sit down. <laughs> um,
1: Natasha did as she was told and asked if she could be in the movie. She went and climbed into his lap. Uh, Pitchell affectionately told her she didn't want to be in the movies. Um, after the song, though, he became so enamored with her he offered her a small non-speaking role.
0: Huh, that was nice.
1: Natasha would later state, <laughs> "Quote: I learned at an early age that if you are nice to men, you can get anything you want from them."
0: Damn, skip it.
1: Uh, which is true. <laughs>
0: I, I mean, know it's, it is. it's true. <laughs> That's why I said it. it I is. have to.
1: Okay, so side note, totally off the subject, and this is stupid, but the new, um, is it? It's not Sonic. The new commercials for whatever kind of burger with Jurassic Park.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm talking about? Sure. You there's, don't. The, well, there's a couple. So, so just-
1: it's a couple, and they're eating, and the like dinosaur comes. <gasps> and they yes, go Yes. Under
0: like a table. Yeah. And yeah. she
1: looks at him and she's like, Do something. Bitch, you do something. Yeah. It's a fucking T Rex. I'm not doing nothing.
0: <laughs> and he's busy eating the hamburger. That would be me. <laughs> yes.
1: I just, I had to bring it up. It's, it's literally been bothering me for yeah. like a week. Do something. But <laughs> you <bitch>. do something. <laughs> fucking run. Right. I got to finish this. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. Side note, uh, Maria would later say that Pitchell picked Natasha off the street or Natasha wandered away and hopped into his lap, which is not true. Uh, Pitchell said he absolutely fell in love with Natasha. Uh, Maria would later tell people that Pitchell wanted to adopt Natasha. Um, she would go as far as saying uh, she told an author that Pitchell wanted to buy Natasha and offered his life savings. Pitchell did come say goodbye when filming was over, but did not offer to buy and or adopt her. No. Um, which is friends. My boss wants to buy my baby. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> um, Poor Joey.
1: So Pitchell, he, he came and say goodbye, and he pleaded with Maria to keep Natasha away from Hollywood. Uh, it profoundly affects families and took away the child's chance at a normal childhood. And he thought she was just too like precious to have that happen to her. Um, On January 1st, I wrote 1994. That is wrong. That's
0: just off by a bit. (laughs)
1: In January of 1944, Natasha made her big screen premiere when Happy Land was released. Now, she had a scene where she had an ice cream cone and it dropped. That was Mm -hmm. it. Um, On May 26th of 1944, Maria and Nick sold everything and moved to Hollywood. Wow. Because Maria's like, this is what we have to fucking do. And poor Nick was like, just give me my vodka, bitch.
0: Right.
1: I'll be good. Uh, a month before Irving Pitchell was set to start production on a new film is when they moved. Uh, Maria put an article in the Santa Rosa paper before they left talking about moving to Hollywood after being selected for a possible part in, quote, a medal for Benny. And then went on to say if they needed to dye her hair to, quote, fit into the proposed role of a Mexican child, that's what they would do. So Natalie is wow. almost blonde. and. Yeah clearly white and a girl.
0: Yeah.
1: The role was for a young Mexican boy. Wow. I mean, square in a circle hole. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Not even close. Um, and in June of 1944, they arrived in Hollywood with no home, no money and no jobs. Uh, Pitchell had another talk with Maria and Natasha about child stars. And he said to do that to Natasha would be a tragedy. Mm. um, Maria was like, no, 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 we're going to do this. Natasha was miserable because she was desperate to please Maria, and yeah. Maria was pissed. So um, that's where it all kind of starts. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's like a downhill cycle from there. Okay. Um, in February of 1945, Maria found out that Pitchell was set to start filming, quote, t- or not, quote, the movie Tomorrow Is Forever. Uh, Maria did not call Pitchell instead getting Natasha on a list of girls that were auditioning so she didn't even tell him. Yeah. Uh, Maria would go on to say that Natasha's screen test was flawless. Pitchell on the other hand uh, said it was absolute shit and he was relieved because he didn't want her in the movies. He Ooh. said it, she was just he just didn't want it. Really? But she, he just said it would be a tragedy to do it to her because she's such a sweet like innocent little girl. Yeah. Like just don't do it. Um, so he told Maria that he needed a child to cry on command. Um, and it, Natasha couldn't. Yeah. And Pitchell said that, you know, Maria should be happy that it happened like it was. Right. Because he said, quote, Natasha is too nice a little girl to be anything but a normal little girl. Maria completely lost her shit and made Natasha call Pitchell, uh, crying and begging for a second chance. She said Natasha was so happy to see him, she couldn't play sad. That's why she couldn't cry on command. Yeah. Um, he agreed to do another screen test. So Olga was tasked with teaching Natasha to cry on command. Uh, she told her to think about the time she watched her dog get run over. Oh. Then Olga and Natasha were walking home and they had just gotten a puppy. And the puppy ran out the street and got hit by a oh, semi. Oh, yeah. that sucks. Um, so Olga said, quote, I got her to cry. With Maria watching, making mental notes. Um, So now Natasha is emotionally scarred already. Um, Maria didn't think the crying was genuine enough. So right before the scene, she pulled Natasha aside, pulled out a jar, pulled out a butterfly from the jar, and then ripped its wings off. (laughs) Natasha became hysterical (laughs) and was crying. Maria pushed her in front of the camera and yelled, quote, she's ready. (laughs) Really?
0: That's something you (laughs) would do. And now she's fucked. (laughs) You would totally do that. Yeah, I
1: would. Uh, Pitchell was so moved, not knowing that she had just watched her mother desecrate a butterfly. um, He described her tears as, quote, seeming to come from the depths, the depth of some divine despair. Mm -hmm. Yes, mutilation. That's what it was. Um, The audition broke Pitchell's heart, and his resolve (laughs) to keep Natasha from child acting was.
0: I apologize. I keep sniffing and I'm trying to do it away from the mic. I don't but even. I can't help it. I don't
1: know this. It's better than you spitting. Um, after the second test, there was never any question. Natasha was in the movies. Ooh. That's what Pitchell said. Natasha got Pitchell. the part. <laughs> Natasha got the part as <laughs> Natasha Gurdon, but Natalie Wood would be credited for playing the part. Now, I would just like to say that that is my grandmother's name, Natalie Wood. That was my yeah. dad's mom's name. That's correct. Um, That's
0: awesome, by the way. Isn't that cool? Yeah, that is cool.
1: So the founders of International Pictures, William Goetz and Leo Spitz, decided Natasha Gurdon was too ethnic, and they Americanized Natasha to Natalie and chose Wood because of director Sam Wood. No reason. Some people say he just happened to be walking by. Really? That's why they picked it, yeah. Um, Why not? Natasha hated it. Hated it. Um... Maria promptly signed an amendment changing her daughter's professional name to Natalie Wood. However, her name was never legally changed, and she used Natasha Gurdon for all legal purposes until her death. Mm. Um, it's like two different personas now, you know? Yeah. So Maria continued to dominate Natalie, crushing her ballerina dreams by telling her, quote, ballerinas don't live very long, and it's bad for your heart. Mm. <sighs> She was not allowed to play outside or with other children for fear of getting hurt. She said, quote, I was so overprotected, I used to think I was as delicate as people said I was. She began to imagine she had various new illnesses and acquiring new fears her mother instilled in her. Dark water.
0: Yeah.
1: Being alone and fast cars. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Natasha, or excuse me, Natalie, was never alone. Ever she would be filming a movie and go in and, like, she somebody was with her 24-7. She was never alone. Really? Ever. On um, March 1st of 1946, um, Maria gave birth to Sflet- Svetlana. Whoa, Sorry. you struggled big I time did. with that. S- Svetlana. Svetlana. Gurdon. Was born. And she was immediately handed over to Olga to raise. So Maria yeah. could continue to focus <laughs> on Naomi. <laughs>
0: Great job. Yeah.
1: Uh, when Natalie was eight, she was filming three movies at one time and was the sole breadwinner for the entire family. Mm. Uh, the pressure was too much, and one day she woke up completely paralyzed after hearing her parents discussing the polio epidemic. Maria brushed it off, telling a magazine that Natalie was, quote, always frail and subject to small illnesses, and when she does not have a real illness, she imagines one. Mm. My note says, let's completely ignore the psychosomatic paralysis that's a direct reaction to the fa- fears and paranoias that Maria pushed on her. You did this. Right. You made her this way. Um, uh, 1949, by age 11, Natalie won Child Star of the Year, and she had 11 more films um, under her belt, totaling 14 films wow. by the time she was 11. Uh, Natalie was under immense pressure to work. Nick had a heart attack and couldn't work. So now she's really the only breadwinner. Um, This was like the awkward pre-teenage, though, you know? Mm -hmm. So she looked her age, which was 12. They wanted her to play somebody that was 9 or 10, and she felt 30. Mm. So this is is actually when Natalie saw Robert Wagner for the first time. Oh, really? Um, He was walking through the studio, and she went and asked for a headshot and told Maria she was going to marry him. She was 11. He was 20. Um, <clears throat> in middle school, Natalie became enamored with a farmer's son named Jimmy Williams. Natalie had also made uh, her one and only friend, Marianne. And Marianne. I like Marianne. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She, she, yeah, I like her. She probably punched Maria once or <laughs> twice. Uh, Marianne could see what Maria was doing and had done to Natalie, um, standing up to Maria, encouraging Natalie to do the same. Jimmy sat behind Natalie in class and said he didn't like pigtails, so Natalie told him to cut it off. So he did.
0: Little (laughs) guy.
1: And then she cut off the other one. This was her first defiant act against her mother because her mother would always put her in pigtail braids because you look like a baby. Uh, The summer after eighth grade, Natalie was invited to a Hollywood party by one of her famous artist agents. She met Tom Irish, who was immediately smitten. The two were pushed to start dating by Maria and the agents. He was 21. She was 13.
0: Oh, my God.
1: When Natalie went back to school, her and Jimmy started dating. Wow. January of 1954. They were a typical high school couple with Maria disapproving, obviously. And then I I ripped my paper. I got excited about something. Um, Natalie, at one point, told Jimmy that she knew she was going to drown. Um, What? Yes. Yes. In February of 1954, Jimmy gave Natalie an engagement ring. Maria, in the meantime, was offering Marianne, uh, quote, anything she wanted if she would break the couple up. Natalie wore the ring home, and Maria lost her fucking shit again. See the theme? Maria losing her shit. Yeah. Um, she drove Natalie to Jimmy's dairy farm and made her give the ring back, and then forbid Natalie from seeing him. Mm. One day in school, a kid approached Jimmy to ask if he could ask Natalie out at Maria's request, which killed them, you know?
0: Yeah. Uh,
1: the pair went out on one last date, and Natalie told him that they had to see other people. Mm. Jimmy went home, walked into the woods, and shot himself with a rifle. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, he survived, Ugh. but Natalie was not allowed to visit, and she never saw him again. He did get married. Really? And was married for, like, 43 years to the same woman. Really? So, yeah. Um, Natalie took up smoking, and her, quote, nerves were becoming an issue. She suffered from severe insomnia, and when she did sleep, she had nightmares about drowning.
0: Jesus. Yeah.
1: She reverted back to all her childhood fears. Natalie and Marianne uh, actually made an appointment for Natalie to see a psychiatrist. Mm -hmm. Um, They went ice skating instead, and Natalie used Marianne as her sounding board. One day, while screen testing for a new movie, Frank Sinatra walked in. Hey, Frank. Frankie. Uh, Maria was like, ooh, and shoved Natalie right Mm, at him. Yeah. Uh, He ended up inviting the two of them to a party at his house. She was 15. He was 38. Wow. Maria told Natalie she wanted her to go alone and urged her to get close to him, saying, quote, because it would be good for your career. Mm. A later boyfriend would say, quote, her mother was a pimp.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you think?
1: <laughs> um, Natalie became a regular at Sinatra's. Wow. Now, Sinatra's uh right hand man mm. man at one point wrote a book. Yeah. And all but said they were having a sexual relationship. Yeah. It was never confirmed, it never came out, you know, but right. like all but confirmed.
0: Yeah, you know.
1: Um It's alleged that they were having a long-standing affair, but he became a protective father type even after her death. He got pissed after her death. I'll tell you. Uh, Sinatra would later say, quote, She gave me the feeling that she was always glad to be alive, that she was a happy kind of a human being, and she exceeded... What? I don't know. A lot of happiness. When she was with you, she giggled a lot. She loved to laugh. Mm. He loved her. Yeah. the effect- or was
0: obsessed?
1: I think he loved her. Oh. I do. I do. Sure. Just from reading it, um, the effect of being thrown into an adult world manifested itself into a dramatic lifestyle change. She smoked heavily and started drinking. Hmm. Ple- yes, please. Yeah. Okay, come on. <laughs> um, a Warner Brothers press release that July quoted Natalie um, saying that she wanted everyone to know she is ready to play sexy parts.
0: Ooh. She's 50.
1: But it's like, it's such an awkward like fucking age and her mom's yeah. pushing her with all these men. So Natalie became consumed with getting agent Henry Wilson to represent her so she could fulfill her dreams of meeting and marrying Robert Wagner. Uh, he said no. <laughs> um, and he was known to have um, a lot of homosexual clients Really? Yeah. He was a raging homosexual himself. Oh. So Maria did not want her to sign with him, fearing that he wouldn't pay attention to her. Yeah. You know. Um, so she finally went on a strike, <laughs> telling Maria, I'm not working until you get me signed with him. Wow. Well, She's, she's the only one making fucking money. Yeah. Um, she got her way, but was told by Wilson he would arrange a date with Wagner in a couple years when she turned 18. He did become her agent, though. Uh, Natalie was told about an upcoming film by Nicholas Ray called Rebel Without a Cause. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh,
1: Natalie was, uh, she quickly became obsessed with getting the role of Judy and with Nicholas Ray. It wasn't long before the two started a sexual relationship in 1955. She read, she did her screenshot and 10 days later, they were having an affair. Uh, wow. She was 16, he was 44. Oh. Jeez. Despite this, he was not convinced Natalie was right for the part of Judy. Which fuck you. I slept with you, Harry Balls. Like, <laughs> give me the fucking part.
0: Harry Balls. How fair is that? <laughs> Dick? Uh. Damn it.
1: So she still had the child star persona and was actually in the middle of a project where she was playing a 12 year old. Wow. Yeah. Um, Natalie became good friends with, you ready for this? Yeah. Dennis Hopper.
0: Get out of here.
1: He was playing a gang member in Rebel Without a Cause. They would hang out all the time. He knew of her affair with Nicholas Ray. Yeah. But he would say that she was his girlfriend.
0: Yeah. But
1: they were like besties. Yeah. So um, they got shit faced one night and Dennis crashed the car. She got ejected. Whoa. From the car. Yeah. Um, And she landed in... Obviously, she was in the hospital. Yeah. Instead of calling her parents, she kept yelling to call Nicholas Ray. Mm -hmm. She told the police that. She told the doctors that. Um, She called him and said, they called me a goddamn juvenile delinquent. Now can I have the part? (laughs) Uh, Ray wrote a memo to Warner Brothers saying that after testing 32 kids in three days, quote, there is only one girl who has shown the capacity to play Judy and she is Natalie Wood. This would skyrocket her. Mm -hmm. This was her big, you know. Um, During this period, Natalie was subjected to one of the greatest traumas she would endure in her life. A powerful married movie star, 20 years her senior, who was a childhood idol of Natalie's, asked her to his hotel room to read a script. Mm -hmm. This is a bit much, so trigger warning. Um, He offered her a drink, told her the script was bullshit, and said, quote, I've always wanted to fuck you. Whoa. He said he liked young girls and, quote, always wanted to fuck a teenager. Natalie attempted to leave, and he dragged her to the bed, violently raping her, telling her, if you tell anyone, it'll be the last thing that you do. Damn. She didn't want to tell Maria. Um, she ended up going to Dennis Hopper's apartment and telling him, yeah. and she told Marianne. Who
0: was this guy?
1: So, hang on. Okay. So she didn't want to tell Maria, but she had no choice after a couple of days because she needed to go to the hospital to be treated for pain and for bleeding. Oh, God. Maria, quote, thought it was great that Natalie had spent an evening with Mr. Showbiz. I wish you could see her faces right now staring at each other. (laughs) Okay. That's... She... It, it, her daughter's violently raped, and her mom's like, woo, you spent a night with them. Yay! Dude, she's a nut. So Natalie never publicly said who it was, but she did tell a few friends. Mm-hmm. Are you ready? I'm ready. And it's never it's never come out, but if you Google it, it's the first name that comes up. Oh. Kirk Douglas. Really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Really?
1: Yep. If you, and if you Google it, like... That's all you see is Kirk Douglas.
0: No so, shit. Like
1: people better be having some fucking deathbed confessions here because this is yeah. this is fucking bananas. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah, and she had to like sit next to him at an award show, and yeah,
0: really, yeah.
1: But Dennis Hopper, he's never come out and said she told me it was him, but yeah. he's never denied it when they asked him. Wow. So, um, Natalie actually also became close with James Dean on the set of Rebel Without a Cause. Um, they called him Jimmy. Yeah. And he was like a lost, tortured tortured soul. Yeah. He was like Kurt Cobain of the 50s. Right. So um, she was absolutely devastated by his death on September 30th of 1955. So the night before, um, her and all of the cast members were reading lines and stuff, and he had just left, and they were talking about how his career was going to be huge and blah, blah, blah. And one of the kids said that he was going to live forever. <laughs> and he died that night. He crashed his car. Damn. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so Rebel <clears throat> is what really shot Natalie into adult stardom. After a frowned upon relationship with Raymond Burr, Natalie met Scott Harlow. Mar- Marlowe, not Harlow. Marlowe. sorry. Uh, <clears throat> they were absolutely captivated with each other. In him, she saw the artistic integrity she admired in James Dean and the intelligence she saw in Raymond Byrne and Nicholas Ray. They became inseparable, but Maria viewed him as a threat to her, her possession of Natalie. Marlowe said Natalie, quote, had a very wistful kind of quality, a very sort of sad orphan's quality. She was just incredibly appealing. Everybody said the same thing about her, that she just, she struck you. Yeah. You know? <clears throat> He encouraged her to start therapy. Mm-hmm. They called it analysis back then. Did you know that?
0: Mm, yeah, I've heard of it. <clears throat> I think yeah. I told you
1: that.
0: Yeah, Sorry. I did.
1: <clears throat> Drink break.
0: Nope, 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 nope. A few weeks. Where's your vape, throat> throat> by the way? Oh, you got it. You got <clears throat> it. I
1: got it. A few weeks prior to her 18th birth- birthday, Natalie proposed to Marlo. She just wanted to get the fuck out. Yeah. That's pretty much what it was. Um, On July 2nd of 1956, the engagement was publicly announced um, because uh, Natalie put out the press release. Right. Maria flipped her shit. Again. And went on an anti-Marlow campaign with Warner Brothers. It worked. Um, They ended up releasing um, uh, a press release saying that he was basically stalking Natalie and trying to ruin her career, which in turn ruined his career. Really? Mm -hmm. Mm. So, uh, on July 20th, 1956, Natalie's 18th birthday, she had her first date with Robert Wagner. Uh, It was for the premiere of his movie, The Mountain. I was allegedly arranged to fulfill um, Wilson's promise, and it was Wagner who was awestruck that night. Quote, she was much more accomplished an actor than I will ever be, which she was because you fucking suck, Robert Wagner. (laughs) Um, Natalie said she was born out of her fucking mind, though. Yeah. (laughs) The date was terrible. Um, She then fired uh, Wilson at Marlowe's suggestion. And Natalie and Marlowe officially broke up in September of 1956. After which, she started spending a lot of time with Elvis. Really? Uh She said he could sing, but that was really the only thing he was good at. Hint, hint. <laughs> I had to throw that one in there. hey So they, um, they dated for a little while, but she broke up with him because he always had his friends there.
0: Ooh. Dude, uh,
1: send Scotty home. Right. What are you doing? Yeah. Maybe if you Time to go, dude. Focus a little. More. Um, so five months after their initial date, Natalie and Robert ran into each other at a party. She felt his mellow manner was soothing for her frazzled nerves. He's a dick. He took Natalie on his sailboat called My Lady. Natalie discovered sailing was a relaxing break for her, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. She described it as, quote, floating in space. You don't even think words, yet you get the glorious feeling that you were tuned in on the universe. It seemed her fear of dark water was non-existent on a boat as if she couldn't fall in, which is... Odd, but yeah. she loved being on the boat. Wow. Uh, Wagner said he quote, fell head over heels in love with Natalie when she continued to see multiple other men. Jeez. Yeah. She was pimping it. Yes, she mm-hmm. was. Um, on December 6th of 1957, Wagner proposed with a pearl and diamond ring engraved with "Marry Me. Um, he says it was at the restaurant Romanoff's and he put it in a glass of champagne. Mm-hmm. Her sister Olga says it was at their house.
0: <laughs> so, okay. Um,
1: her old friends, Marianne and Jackie expressed concern about Wagner's, Wagner's rumored sexuality. Ooh. hmm hey. On December 28th of 1957, the pair were married in Scottsdale, Arizona. Uh, Maria was losing her meal ticket and told friends that, quote, nothing good will come of this. Uh Boats became... The dog is dreaming and just kicked the fucking wall, I by the way. I
0: heard that. Um,
1: yeah. So boats became a recurring theme for the couple. They chartered a boat for a month-long cruise for their honeymoon and ended up hitting the worst storm that had hit Florida in the previous 15 years. Outwardly, the Wagners were the picture of wedded bliss. On the inside, Natalie was tormented, trying to function as an adult woman alone for the first time in her life. She doesn't know how to right. do anything. Yep. Um the media and the public loved the golden couple, and they spent June of 1961 going from party to party. About a day or. What? A day or so after being seen hand in hand at a Warner Brothers Jubilee, Robert finished his movie, um, Sail a Crooked Ship. I've never even fucking heard of that. So. neither. <laughs> <Me> <laughs> Robert had a butler. But he lived in an apartment and was broke. So you have a boyfriend? Cool. Got it. Yep. Exactly. When they got married. The
0: pool cleaner.
1: Yeah. He brought the butler with. So the butler moved in with him.
0: Yeah. Uh, Something's going on there.
1: Sometime after going to bed, Natalie woke up to find Robert missing. Natalie told friends she went looking for Robert and found him in a compromising position with another man. Yep. The butler. Yep. Natalie was hysterical and squeezed a crystal glass in her hand until it shattered and cut her hand. She ran bleeding to a neighbor's and called her mom. Natalie went to her mom's sobbing that her marriage was over. Mm -hmm. Through representatives, um, Robert denies this version of events and any allegations of bisexuality. Natalie locked herself in the bedroom and took handfuls of sleeping pills. Uh, She was taken to the hospital to have her stomach pumped. This is considered by most her first suicide attempt. However, she would repeatedly say that she was not trying to kill herself. No. That time. Uh, Natalie, quote, lost it and went into hiding for a week, losing 10 pounds, which she could not afford to fucking lose. Uh, She also started therapy, finally. Mm. And this is when she started going daily for the next eight years. Good. Um, She never said anything publicly. On June 20th, 1961, they announced their separation in a joint statement saying, quote, no immediate plans for divorce. Both are hopeful the problems that exist between them can be worked out. I'm not even going to say it in a satisfactory way. I was writing it and I was like, I'm not going to be able to say this fucking word. Why am I writing this? Um, In the meantime, she started making another movie. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. And started dating Warren Beatty. Oh, telling you, man, she wow. was, she's fucking badass. Um, so her and Robert ended up splitting their property, but never filed for divorce. Uh, Natalie even took responsibility for the split mm-hmm. because so now she's dating Warren Beatty. She's not quiet about it. Right. So the rumor was that they ended up separating because she was having an affair with Warren Beatty. I guess she yeah. never said anything. She didn't deny it. She she just let him say it. I would have been like, listen, (laughs) there were things in places that there shouldn't be.
0: Right. What had happened was. Mm. So in
1: April of 1962, Natalie finally filed for a divorce. Uh, Her and Beatty ended up dating for two years and then split. Mm -hmm. In July of 1963, two days after Natalie's 25th birthday, Robert got married to Marion Marshall. She's an older chick. Um, They had a daughter. Natalie was making movies and casually dating, but was obviously miserable. She again swallowed a bottle of prescription pills. She called a friend Damn. and said she didn't want to live. Ooh. Her therapist talked her into living and going into the hospital. Wow. Uh, quote, Natalie says, quote, if it weren't for analysis, I'd probably be dead today. There didn't seem much even worth losing.
0: Ooh.
1: Yeah. Um, in 1966, she had her third suicide attempt After wrapping up the movie, this property is condemned. Uh, Right after her 28th birthday, she fired her agents, publicists, accountants, uh, business managers, and lawyers. She broke her contract with Warner Brothers after 11 years, and it ended up costing her $175,000 to get out of the contract. Damn. She had done 40 films for them. Holy shit. She spent the night alone in her house for the first time ever. Yeah. Ever. She'd never done it, just to see if she could do it. Yeah. Yeah. She flew to New York alone. She hated to fly. Hated it. She had a stuffed tiger that um, Nicholas Ray had given her that she had to have um, on her flights. She came back to L.A. a few days um, later, ready to begin a life outside of the movies. In September of 1966, she met Richard Gregson, who was a London agent, uh, which was perfect timing because Natalie wanted children and he had children. Mm. So she spent the next two years traveling with him because he was in the middle of a divorce and it wasn't finalized yet. Um, so she said, quote, I had to have two years of just just living. Uh, on May 30th of 1969, the pair were finally married. And in the beginning of 1970, uh, Natalie found out that she was pregnant. Uh, she announced her semi-retirement. When she was six months pregnant, she went to a dinner party and was sat next to Robert Ooh. on purpose. <laughs> By the buttholes having the party. Yeah. Uh, He was separated and said the party, quote, was the greatest unexpected meeting of my life. On September 29th of 1969, Natalie gave birth to her daughter, Natasha. In July of 1971, Natalie caught Gregson having an affair with her secretary, literally catching them in bed. This poor woman keeps walking in on her significant others, banging somebody else.
0: My God. <laughs>
1: Seriously. Uh, she didn't fuck around this time. She filed for divorce that day. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah she ain't playing. Nope. Robert called days later to check on her. Uh, he was recently divorced and was actually engaged to Frank Sinatra's 23-year-old daughter. Wow. hmm uh-huh. Natalie would later say she thought of Robert constantly since her, her divorce. Yeah. On January 19th of 1972, the Hollywood Reporter broke the news that Natalie and Robert were, quote, dating again. Natalie was the only one making money because he fucking sucked, so she supported the two of them. Um, her sister, <clears throat> Spetlana, Svetlana. Goes by Lana now, thank God. Yeah. Uh, when Lana expressed her concern, Natalie said, quote, the devil you know is better than the devil you don't know. Ooh. We're putting that on a fucking t-shirt. Yeah, right? Um, they were married again on July 16th of 1972. And Natalie then spent her 35th birthday pregnant. On March 9th of 1974, she had daughter Courtney uh, via emergency C-section. Now, her when she was younger, her mother told her that um, she would die during childbirth because she was so small. Yeah. She scared her to like to not have sex. Yeah. Kind of like you. Yeah. Yeah. You kiss a girl, you'll get her pregnant. Yep. Um so uh I lost my fucking place. Oh, okay. In nineteen seventy five the couple found their dream boat. It was a white sixty foot power boat with an outer deck and room to sleep eight.
0: Whoa, dude.
1: <laughs> Hello. It was called The Splendor after nice. one of her movies. And yeah. then they had a dinghy. <laughs> Why do they call it a dinghy first of <laughs> I don't all? Know. It's but amazing. Whoever came up with that? Thank you. Quit I appreciate playing it. Playing with your dinghy. So, they named it The Valiant? Yeah. Because he was in a movie, The Valiant, and it fucking sucked. Okay.
0: <laughs> Just like
1: the dinghy. It's a smaller version. <laughs> there was also, which I found and there was another dinghy called The Zodiac.
0: Okay.
1: And I'm kind of confused. I'm not sure if there were two or if the person talking about it was mistaken. Yeah. So, the Splendor and the Valiant. Dingy. Um, they leased a mooring, which is like a dock, yeah, near Catalina Island. Natalie stopped going to therapy daily. Uh, she described herself as a quote survivor and said Natasha brought her back from the dark side. In 1978, Robert began uh, shooting Heart to Heart, which was a TV show. Mm-hmm. Uh, Natalie was going to star in the Cracker Factory. Okay. So this was, um, it, she said she was thrilled to have a role that finally gave expression to her passion for a project about emotional illness. It was, it, it was kind of a rough one for her. Yeah. Like it was her life, essentially. Um, Natalie became very close with hairdresser uh, Lola. Lola. Love Lola. Uh, McNally, talking about her fear of dark water and drowning. Uh, that's how McNally's husband died. Really? So they would talk a lot about it. Uh, Natalie and Robert were frequently arguing over his drinking. Is that the dog? Yeah. Oh. Around this time, Natalie started to work on her autobiography. Ooh. She would just take notes here and there. Whatever. You better lay the fuck down. Lay down. Um, her time, um, her theme, actually, excuse me, was her fear of dark water. Quote, I've been terrified of the water, yet it seems I'm forced to go into it in every movie that I make. She was filming a movie and was forced to jump into the ocean. Yeah. And ended up breaking her wrist. She didn't tell anybody she broke her wrist and yeah. she ended up having not a large bump. It's not very noticeable, but she did have a slight deformity. Yeah. That she was so self-conscious of. She always had a large bracelet on her left wrist. Really? So if she was going anywhere in public, mm. she had a bracelet on her left wrist. Remember that. Earmark yeah. that. Okay. Um she was literally every fucking movie had water. It was That's insane. Crazy. Yeah. Um, she began filming the memory of Eva Riker. This is fucked up. She's playing a woman who has regressed memories of her mother drowning. Oh. Now in a flashback scene, Natalie would be playing the mother drowning. Uh. Natalie arranged to be hypnotized for the regression scenes, studying how different parts of the body react just before death. She also, quote, practiced drowning.
0: Oh, dude.
1: But then told the director of her fears and said she couldn't do it. And they're like, well, we'll get a water tank. Yeah. She didn't even want to go in the water tank. Somebody had to be in the tank with her to hold her legs. Yeah. Dude. Um, In 1981, Natalie started filming Brainstorm with Christopher Walken. Ooh. Mm Mm-hmm. Natalie would say he reminded her of filming with James Dean. Now, he was a shit. Like, he was one of those, I'm going to do it my way and I don't give a fuck what you say. But he was up and coming and it was like a big to do. And so um, the filming in the movie itself was a mess. (laughs) A number of the production crew said that there was literally zero chemistry between the two of them. (laughs) So there was all these rumors about the affair. And production members were like, no, when they had to do a fucking love scene. Mm-mm. Yeah. Couldn't do it. Um, so Thanksgiving of 1981, the Wagners held their traditional Thanksgiving buffet. This included, did I skip fucking shit? I feel like I skipped pages. Oh, well. Um, this included family, family from both sides and a few close friends. The plan was to spend the weekend then on the Splendor. It was supposed to be uh, Christopher Walken and a close friend of Natalie's, who actually canceled at the last minute, and then their personal captain, uh, their personal captain Dennis Deverin.
0: Okay.
1: Who's a twat face. Uh-oh. That's a big one. I don't use that very often.
0: That is. Who's a twat face?
1: Twat face. Lana would say Natalie, quote, seemed odd, like something was bothering her. She also said that she'd be forever haunted by Natasha's hysterical reaction to Natalie leaving she flipped out she threw herself on natalie don't leave don't go stay home don't go um natalie normally would give in but this time she didn't she didn't want her children to develop the same deep-seated fears that she had
0: yeah
1: um so this is my my note the last 36 hours of natalie's life is somewhat pieced together by vague statements 22 year old memories and the captain's account he claims to know uh, exactly what happened, but is holding out for, quote, his day to reveal the truth, i.e. a book deal. Um, so there's multiple. He gave multiple versions. So, yeah. like, everything has to be pieced together. So. Right. This is, like, six different research pages and a book all okay. in one. <laughs> so. um. The Splendor set sail for Catalina Island from Marina del Rey before noon, the Friday after Thanksgiving. Devon would say, quote, there was a feeling of jealousy going on between RJ, that's what they called Robert, and Christopher. That could be felt in the air. Uh, Christopher Walken drank two Bloody Marys, got seasick, and went to go lay down. He woke up around five, and they were moored on the tourist populated side of Catalina Island. Shortly after, the three took the Valiant to shore, leaving Devon to prepare dinner. I'd be like, I'm a fucking boat captain. Why do I have to cook for you? Yeah. Ugh. Um, it's too much. Yeah. So they bar hopped, um, shopped, and started drinking beer and margaritas at a Mexican restaurant. There you go. And then ending ending at El Gallion, which was a popular waterfront bar. Mm. Like, I want to spend the day with you guys. Yeah,
0: I do Just too. Just
1: um, According to Robert and Christopher's statements, Natalie had to be convinced to get back in the Valiant around 10 p.m. This was also um, uh, substantiated by witnesses who said they heard her like yelling that she didn't want to get back in. Really? The water was choppy. It was dark. She doesn't want dark water. Yeah. Um, Walken recalled, quote, more drinking before getting sick and going to bed. During Robert's first interview, which was less than six minutes, Uh, He said nothing about Friday night, anything that happened on Friday night. During his second and final interview, he told authorities there was a discussion with everyone on the boat regarding going back to the mainland um, due to extremely choppy water. Walken and Devron say this discussion never happened. Robert said him and Natalie had a, quote, strong disagreement about moving closer to shore. Natalie objected to moving the boat, so he suggested she spend the night in a hotel and take Devrin with her. Investigators never at any point in time questioned this. Yeah. And Devron's original statement to the police said all four slept on the boat that night. Yeah. However, uh, his second interview was with attorneys that were hired by Wagner. It now matched his statement, with the exception of it being Natalie's idea to get a hotel room. So they did go to shore. Yeah. Um, Walken's brief original statement barely mentioned Friday night, only saying he heard, quote, some sort of hubbub between the Wagners. His second account consisted of Davern asking him to come mediate the fight, to which Walken said, quote, never get involved in an argument between a man and a wife. Mm. He went back to bed but felt the boat move and noticed through the porthole that they were closer to shore. No. Uh, Davern would later say Natalie wanted to go home, so he took her ashore in the Valiant. Witnesses stated she went back to the bar with a duffel bag and she was shit-faced. Yeah. Uh, the manager of the bar remembered Natalie leaving the bar at 10 p.m. with Wagner and Walken, but was back at 11 with a, quote, bearded man who was Devon. Uh, she asked him to help her find two rooms. At 11.15 p.m., the two walked into Pavilion Lodge, so intoxicated they could barely get in the door. Natalie paid for rooms 126 and 219 with her American Express, uh, and room 219 was never used. Ooh. Natalie woke up before 8 a.m., hoping to call Lana to go home. She asked where to catch a boat to the mainland, but 15 minutes later, she changed her mind and went back to the splendor on the dinghy. Uh, Davern would say, quote, Everyone acted like nothing happened and everything was beautiful again. They moved um, <clears throat> two, sorry. Oh, they moored. They moored at two harbors, uh, which is the place, among 50 to 70 pleasure boats. Natalie and Walken went to shore at 2 p.m. while Robert and Devon napped. Robert woke up and was pissed and went looking for them at 4. Um, they had dis- dinner reservations uh, for 7. Davern said Robert was just angry and he was sent to the boat for wine. This is where now they're at dinner. Yeah. The staff said the group was, quote, inebriated and they were, quote, of the impression that Wagner was a little bit irritated with his wife. Quote, there was definitely something going on. The table just felt weird. You ready for this next one? Yeah. The manager would later say he saw, quote, RJ flirting with Walken. There was definite touching going on. Multiple witnesses described Robert being beyond shit-faced, fall-down drunk at this point. Yeah. Um, At one point, Natalie threw a glass against the wall. (laughs) Um, And multiple people noted commotion at the table. When asked why she did it, she said, I'm Russian. And that's what Russians do. Goddamn right. Um, (laughs) So then Christopher Walken was like, well, I did it first. And then so he was kind of trying to defend her.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, The restaurant manager called the Harbor Patrol office asking uh, Kurt Craig to keep an eye on the four to make sure that they got back to the Splendor safely because they are shit faced. Yeah. Devon said that Robert, at this point, was now ready to explode. The three men's statements indicated that the four went to the main... Is it Salon on a boat? I th- It's S-A-L-O-N, so it's Salon, right? I would think so. meant to look it up and I fucking forgot. Really, uh, I think. Where Robert uh, drank scotch and more wine was opened. Walken was the first and only one to tell the police that there was an altercation in the main salon. Him and Robert got into a, quote, small beef soon after they got back to the boat and that Natalie seemed, quote, disturbed. Devern said he'd rather not say what they were arguing about. Hmm. Robert said nothing about this argument in the original statement. In Walken's second statement, he said Robert started complaining about Natalie never being home and it was hurting their children and their home life. Uh, Walken defended Natalie, saying that she was a very important person supporting the family. Uh, Walken went to get some air out on the deck. When he got back, everybody was apologizing, including him and Robert, and everything seemed fine. It's all bullshit. Uh, Natalie went to bed after getting tired of listening to them, thinking, uh, you guys are a bunch of assholes, because that's what I would have been thinking. (laughs) Yeah. So, they were a bunch of assholes.
0: Suck that vape.
1: So, Devern's second interview, he stated Natalie and Robert were having a discussion about her being gone and that Walken came in defending Natalie, which matched it. Uh, Walken went outside and Natalie went to bed. In Robert's second interview, he still did not mention the argument until the police brought it up. He said the same as the other two men. Um, Devern would give more details over the years. At one point, saying the argument was significantly more heated than anyone previously admitted he said Robert, quote, took a wine bottle, smashed it on the salon table, and said to Chris, quote, what do you want to do? Fuck my wife.
0: Whoa.
1: Walken left the area, and Natalie went to her ba- her bedroom, saying, quote, RJ, I'm not standing for this a minute longer. Uh, the first officer, Deputy Kroll, wrote in his official report, quote, I observed pieces of a broken wine bottle laying on the deck carpeting in the main salon. So he did smash a fucking bottle.
0: Yeah. Goddamn. Blindsack. Piece of shit. Son of a bitch.
1: So, this is where it goes down.
0: Okay.
1: Robert said the wine bottle broke because of rough seas. Cool. Because I saw pictures of the boat and it was fucking destroyed.
0: Was it really? Yeah.
1: Uh, every bottle would have broke if that was the case. Mm. Um, so, at some point between 10.45 p.m. and midnight... Robert, so I'm going to say, like, what they said, and then, like, what gets pieced together. Okay. Okay. So, Robert realized Natalie was not in the bedroom. In his first statement, Natalie went to bed. He followed shortly after, and then he found her and the dinghy missing. In his second statement, he said Natalie went to bed. Walken stood on the deck, quote, for a while, and he and Walken then talked for, quote, 15 minutes. He went to check on Natalie and saw that her and the dinghy were gone. According... Uh, To these, Natalie disappeared no longer than 30 to 45 minutes after going to bed. According to sheriff's records, uh, Warren Archer radioed RJ on the splendor from his boat, the Vantage, to invite all of them over for drinks at 11 p.m. Because these people could fucking party. Yeah. Jesus. Apparently, jeez. Um. Robert said no, and Warren said he heard noise in the background, giving him the impression that Robert and Natalie, quote, were arguing or fighting. Warren also noticed the dinghy tied to the boat as he was moored 30 yards away, so he could see the dinghy at oh. 11. Uh, shortly after 11 p.m., John Payne, who owned the Capricorn and was moored approximately 80 feet from the Splendor, thought he heard a woman crying for help. He woke his fiance, Marilyn Wayne, who sleeps with the windows open, like us, um she said she distinctly heard a woman's voice coming from the ocean.
0: Yeah.
1: Quote, the cry was somebody please help me, I'm drowning. Over and over again.
0: Damn.
1: This was 11:05 p.m. Yeah. The couple in Maryland's son all heard a man or a or men's drunken voice or voices mocking the woman saying, "Quote, oh don't worry, we'll help you. Hold your hat, we're coming to get you." Uh they answered they assumed that now they're from the same party, but the woman continued to scream. John called the harbormaster with no answer because they were off. Yeah. He called Avalon, uh, which was like part of the island, and they said that they were going to send a helicopter. Marilyn starts yelling out to the woman to keep talking so she could come get her. Yeah. They turned on their mast light, and John said the yelling was clearly from the direction of the Splendor. No helicopter ever showed up and John had to talk Marilyn out of jumping into the water. Wow. They did not see a dinghy. They couldn't use theirs because they had deflated it in preparation for their return home the next morning early. Yeah. At 11.25 p.m., <clears throat> the woman's scream stopped. The next morning, they both called the sheriff's department after hearing about Natalie, certain that that's who they heard yelling. Nobody called them back. <clears throat> wow. <clears throat> Ever. Oh, my God. Ever. Wow. Um, Robert's first call to report Natalie missing was at 1.30 a.m. He used the radio channel 19 saying, quote, this is the splendor. We need help. Somebody's missing from the boat. The bar manager was on his sailboat and answered Robert because nobody else was. Yeah. Um, who was slurring his words and couldn't speak clearly. Um, <clears throat> Robert told the manager he thought Natalie was back at the bar. And the manager was like, cool, cool, because I closed it like two hours ago. Yeah. (laughs)
0: She's
1: not there. Um, So the Harbor Patrol had gone home, and this is when the manager was like, all right, well, I'll come help you. Uh, Robert was adamant against calling the Coast Guard.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Told them, no, absolutely not. So there was a campground nearby, and he also heard the radio traffic and offered his help. So he borrowed a Harbor Patrol boat and went to talk to Robert, who, quote, was drunk and a little panicky. He was convinced Natalie was at the bar and asked to be taken to shore. Dude's like, uh, nothing's open. Just came from there. Right. Not there. He didn't care. Um, after not finding her, Robert was quote, agitated and he wanted to go back to the Splendor. The two men searching finally woke up the harbor master who went to the Splendor and found Robert and Davern, as they appeared to be, quote, buddies sitting around in the boat drinking. <sighs> So drunk they couldn't talk. Jesus. Contradicting Robert's earlier statement, he told the harbor master Natalie would have no reason to go back to shore again. Mm-hmm. But he was just adamant she was at the bar. Yeah. Um, both men, being Robert and Devon, also said that Natalie was wearing a nightgown. So yeah. again, she's not going to the fucking bar. Right. I mean, I would go to the bar in a nightgown. Whatever. I don't care. But He begged the harbor master to not call the Coast Guard and repeatedly talked about Natalie's fear of water. After no sign of Natalie, the harbormaster said he had no choice but to call the Coast Guard, uh, but he wouldn't use names. Robert was concerned that people would gawk.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, maybe somebody gawking could have fucking found her, since <laughs> right? you didn't seem all that concerned. <laughs> so the Coast Guard was finally called at 3.30 a.m. Yeah. There's no explanation of anyone's time from when they noticed Natalie missing um, until the one thirty call. Okay. So from 10.45. Um, <clears throat> they talk about both dinghies, like I said, the Valiant and the Zodiac missing. The Dangies. night, The night manager and the campground worker found the Valiant tangled in kelp in a small cave in Blue Cavern Point one and one quarter miles away from the boat. Mm. It was off... <clears throat> the boat was off, it was in neutral, and the oars were still in place, suggesting Natalie hadn't been in it. Yeah. One of the Baywatch lifeguards, because yeah. they were Baywatch lifeguards, All right. Whiting said that, uh, no, excuse me, the campground worker said that they then used the Valiant to continue searching. Mm-hmm. So now they have two boats instead of one. Um, however, the Baywatch lifeguards would state that they found the Valiant.
0: Yeah.
1: Quote, we swam it out of the cove. And when we swam it out, all the oars were in disarray. Everything was in disarray as if somebody had been trying to climb back into it. And they noticed scratch marks on it. Ooh. I don't know what happened. Yeah. It's still disputed. The only thing that is um, concrete is that it was found at 530 a.m. Right. Uh, Doug Bombard, who was the owner of the bar, uh, ended up joining the search team early in the morning. At close to 7.45 a.m., 100 to 150 yards away from Blue Cavern Point, he says, quote, I saw something red, and that was her down jacket. It ballooned up and had enough air, so it acted kind of as a life preserver. He radioed the Baywatch lifeguards. They immediately radioed back to the Harbor Patrol to not touch her, quote, because we might be talking about a homicide. I wanted to recover her on the Baywatch, and so I saw them speeding over there really fast, and Doug pulled her out of the water just as we got there. Bombard would later say, quote, Natalie was hanging underneath the jacket, which buoyed her. Buoyed, buoyed, yeah. Um, A lot of times when a person drowns, if they don't have a lot of fat, they go to the bottom. Yeah. There was only one thing that kept her up, and that was the coat. She wasn't floating, she was hanging, actually, yeah. almost in a standing position, with her face down and her eyes open.
0: Oh, oh that's crazy. That's the
1: worst part ever. Ugh. Ugh. Um,
0: Why I hate ugh. water.
1: <laughs>
0: I hate when her eyes are open. Oh my God.
1: I hate it. Um, So, she was wearing a floral print flannel nightgown, blue slipper socks, four rings, and uh, an, ID, an ID bracelet. Do you remember those? Did you mm-hmm. ever have an ID bracelet? Yeah. Um, and a gold chain around her waist. Hmm. I guess it was a thing. Uh, sure. There was no bracelet on her left wrist, though. Ooh. So she wasn't fucking going anywhere in public because nobody saw her wrist. Yeah. Um, by the time the sheriffs started investigating, the news had already hit radio and TV. Yeah. L.A. County coroner Dr. Thomas Noguchi, he did uh Marilyn Uh, was notified around 8 a.m. However, he had already heard about it, so he had already sent his investigator, Pamela Eaker, to examine Natalie's body, who later wrote, quote, that first morning the whispers were of murder. Maria and Lana heard of Natalie's death from a friend who saw it on TV. Robert made several phone calls after getting off the Splendor, some to friends, and one to a child psychologist for the girls, but he never called family. Because he's a fucking twat. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> on November 30th, Robert released a statement through his attorney. In it, he says he joined her in the stateroom. Natalie often took out the dinghy and he began surging within 10 to 15 minutes. Not a single fucking part of that statement was true. Right. None of, none of it. Not a single word. Um, Dr. Thomas Noguchi would give a press conference that Natalie must have fallen attempting to get into the dinghy based on, quote, an abrasion on her left cheek. He also said that there was no evidence of foul play and that, quote, she was slightly intoxicated at uh, 0.14%. Level of intoxication was one of the factors involved in her not being able to respond in case of emergency after she was seen in the water. So she's slightly intoxicated, but now she's so fucking drunk she can't do anything? Yeah. And 0.14?
0: That's not...
1: You know your BAC rises the longer you're dead?
0: No, I didn't know
1: that. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah, that's a fun fact for you.
0: But still, that's not. It's not drunk. I mean,
1: it's it's legal. But yeah, but you can still function, right? And I mean, that's they're saying that's what it was, but she was shit faced the night before, allegedly. So the media went batshit crazy. Um, Most of and he comes back. So most of the searches had concluded and publicly said that they thought um, most of the searchers, excuse me, had concluded and were publicly saying that they thought Robert killed her.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, Natalie's funeral was held on Wednesday, December 2nd of 1983. Her pallbearers, are you ready for this?
0: Mm-hmm. Were
1: Rock Hudson, Frank Sinatra, Sir Lawrence Olivier, Eli Kazan, Gregory Peck, David Nevin, and Fred Astaire wow yes her casket wow. was covered in thousands of gardenias because she loved them natasha pa- placed a letter in her coffin and courtney was still in denial natalie was laid under a camphor tree close to her, her friend norma crane in westwood cemetery which is where marilyn Monroe is also buried mm-hmm. uh, many friends speculated at the funeral that her death was not fully investigated and Robert Wagner and Christopher Watkins last statements to police both say they believe Natalie took the dinghy to the bar, which we've already proven didn't fucking happen. God damn it. Mm. So after Noguchi's press conference, uh, where he publicly announced Natalie's intoxication and the argument, No. He was terminated from the coroner's office.
0: Get out of here.
1: Do you want to know why? Why? According to Noguchi and his attorney, this termination occurred after Frank Sinatra wrote a letter to the board of supervisors complaining about Noguchi's statements of the argument, stating coroners should be seen and not heard.
0: (laughs) wow.
1: (laughs) Now, at some point in time, too, when Natalie was dating other people or Robert thought she was having an affair, he yeah. called Frank Sinatra and was like, can you send some dudes over to the house to go knock on the door? And he's like, yeah, sure. Really? <laughs> like, I want to be that type with Frank Sinatra. I, yeah. So um, Davern continued to tell what happened that night for several years, adding more details every time. Lana said in 1992, she got a drunken phone call from Davern. He said he needed to unburden to her <clears throat> how her sister actually drowned. He stated that Robert went to check on Natalie. They started, quote, fighting like crazy, stuff getting thrown around. He next heard, quote, the dinghy being untied. You can hear the ropes, the bowline being tugged on. Robert returned to the bridge at 1130 p.m., quote, tousled, sweating profusely as if he had been in a terrible fight or an ordeal of some kind. Um, He then told Lana that Natalie came back up on the deck to continue said argument, with robert
0: mm-hmm.
1: um davern went to uh or excuse me him and robert continued to drink until approximately 1:30 a.m davern went to look for natalie returning to the deck and noticed that the dinghy was gone robert refused to allow him to turn on any of the lights or start the engine saying "Well, let's think about this we don't want to do anything dennis because we don't want to alert these people shortly after he noticed natalie had gone overboard but he said he doesn't know how davern said natalie was in the water yelling at robert and robert wouldn't let davern uh do anything i wonder if i put that statement there yeah um time slipped away until all sounds stopped is what he said when they went back to the water natalie was gone nana lana believes this confession saying quote it's the only thing that makes sense, because otherwise, what the hell was R.J. waiting for? Yeah. Obviously. Um, so the officer, Kroll, noted bruising to the arms and legs, and she had a laceration to the bridge of her nose, and the boat was trashed. And it really it really fucking was. Um, so there's an author that wrote her biography, and she actually spoke with everybody. Uh, Lana told her Devon saw what appeared to be Robert shoving Natalie overboard. Then told Devon quote, "Leave her there, teach her a lesson." Wow! Uh, Devon then denied the shove after that. Regardless, Robert saw her go overboard and let her sit there for two and a half hours. A woman dating Devon at the time said she called, said he called and told her, quote, "Don't believe anything you read or see in print about what happened. Everybody's been paid off, bribed off, or threatened off. What you're going to be seeing about this is all a lie." In 2011, the L.A. Sheriff's Department reopened the case. Really? Yes. It's an open investigation currently. To this day? To this day. Wow. Okay. Lead investigator Kevin Lowell said, quote, Wagner should have been held responsible a long time ago. If the statute of limitations had not expired, Wagner would have been arrested for manslaughter. As soon as the case was reopened publicly, Christopher Walken immediately lawyered up.
0: Wow. He has
1: spoken with the investigators, Um, and, excuse me, they said that after he was spoken to, there was enough to charge Wagner. Really? they won't say what he said. Um.
0: But he's not charged. uh -uh.
1: So, because of fucking twat face Davern.
0: Dude.
1: Um, so despite Robert Wagner publicly saying he's cooperating, the lead investigator says, quote, he's a lying sack of shit. (laughs) He has not participated in any way, shape, or form. In 2012, Natalie's cause and manner of death was changed from accidental drowning to drowning and other undetermined factors. In 2013, L.A. coroner, I'm not even going to, it's the entire alphabet. <laughs> I have—I apologize. Uh, released a supplemental autopsy report. Uh, it said that Natalie was unconscious when she entered the water. It was, quote, unplanned and not of her own volition. Mm. Uh, he determined the multiple bruises to her body happened before she went in the water
0: yeah.
1: in February of 2018, in hopes of getting Wagner to fucking say something. Uh, they held a press conference stating that Natalie's drowning was now considered a suspicious death. And Robert Wagner was officially named a person of interest. Uh, Dr. Michael Franco, who is currently a family medicine specialist in LA was an intern at the coroner's office in 1981 Um, And because he wasn't an employee, he was never questioned. Um, Yeah. He expressed concern during the autopsy about the bruising to Natalie's anterior, which is the top thighs and shins. The striations suggested someone being pushed off a boat. He mentioned it to Noguchi, who told him some things are better left unsaid. Uh, Investigator Hernandez, who was another cop.
0: Yeah.
1: Um said quote the coroner botched the autopsy for what reason i can't prove why dr franco went on to say quote someone was pushing her down and wouldn't let her stay on Damn. like she was trying to get into the dinghy right right so they think that robert lowered the dinghy and she was trying to get into it and he wasn't allowing her to
0: just one thing real quick please say dinghy again dinghy. yes
1: uh Per autopsy photographs that, and uh, confirmation by Investigator Hernandez, there were significant wounds to Natalie's head that were, yeah. quote, troubling, that were never mentioned before. Really? Per the doctor, they indicate a violent fight of somebody who was pushed and or tossed into water while unconscious. Oh, shit. So Natalie had no one to protect her in life or in death and struggled in the water, living out and dying by her worst nightmare.
0: Ooh, he just gave me the chills. That was a good sentence, wasn't it? Yeah. He just gave me the yeah. chills, dude.
1: So that is the story of Natalie Wood. There's sad. so much more, so much more. But like, I, I just, I, it would have been a 16 hour fucking episode and you would yeah. have killed me. Yes. Um, but how, like,
0: that's sad. She just
1: wanted somebody to love her yep. and he, and he, she thought he loved her and that's why she kept going what back fucking to fucking life. Yeah. So now Robert Robert Wagner is ninety-two mm-hmm. and as far as Lynn and I could tell, Dennis Devern is still alive. Okay. Now, because they can't charge him with second degree mm-hmm. because of the statute limit or manslaughter because of the statute of limitations, they need a smoking gun to arrest him.
0: Yeah.
1: They need they basically need Devern... the, s-
0: the statute of limitations
1: on manslaughter? on manslaughter. Not murder, manslaughter.
0: Yeah, I didn't think manslaughter had it. Oh, there they do. What well, California, right? Yeah.
1: They need Devern to come out and say that he saw Robert shove Natalie into the water. Ooh. At this point, they can charge him. They would have been able to charge him with manslaughter because he knew she went overboard. Because Devern said that as much that you know he knew she went overboard, and Wagner let her sit in the water and did nothing wow. to save her
0: give me a second here because i am gonna try to google this
1: so first i'll say fuck you dude like she supported you she did everything for you and then you fucking kill her in her biggest fear what what is wrong with you Mm -hmm. terrible very sad she was beautiful He's taking too long to Google.
0: Well, I'm trying to see if I, I'm reading the right thing. Probably not.
1: <gasps> wow. There is that, a statute of limitations, huh? Yeah. Really?
0: In California? Holy fuck. Yeah. Six years. That's it? Six years. Wow manslaughter, first-degree robbery, arson, and many sex crimes.
1: Isn't that insane?
0: Dude, that's... Because he... And I thought fucking Illinois was mm -hmm. bad.
1: Because the investigator said flat out, just him knowing she was in the water, which they could take Devron's word for, and him leaving her there for two and a half hours, that's manslaughter. They could have arrested him. Wow. This motherfucker better give a, a deathbed confession. Yeah. Seriously. Or... Some of Sinatra's old goons need to go start ripping off fucking toenails or something, right? And it was—it's kind of ironic that so, like, the coroner that got fired—he wanted to do um, psychological a psychological autopsy, mm-hmm. but you have to uh, interview family and everything like that. Yeah, yeah. And because Frank Sinatra got him fired, he put a stop to it. Mm-hmm. So he tried so hard to protect Natalie. And then he was trying to protect his friend, you right. know, Robert Wagner, and ended up fucking Natalie in the end. Man. Yeah. What yep. a sad story. It's so sad. Yeah. It's so sad.
0: Now I get why you wanted to do it. Yeah. Because at first I was like... I, I knew you like, weren't going to be like... Man. Yeah. <laughs> well, whatever. But fucking
1: but, twat face McGee better come for... Like, dude, what are... Fucking Robert Wagner is 92 years old. Frank Sinatra is dead. Yeah. Nobody is coming after you. Right. Be a fucking man and say what you saw. Right. Put an end to it. Give her family some fucking peace. Mm-hmm. Give her kids some peace. Which, yeah. by the way, her daughter went on to, Um, she's an actor. Oh, is she? Yeah. Later on in life. Okay. like As a, a, a younger adult, because Natalie wanted them nowhere fucking near. Near so, Hollywood. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't fucking blamer No, my
1: god so that was good yeah that was good very sad the whole story is very sad and they're twat faces like i just don't get it what what are you waiting for he's fucking 92 he's not gonna come back what what is he gonna do ruin your career as a fucking sea captain
0: Right. (laughs) come on yeah that's fucked up and
1: like i get so like christopher walken too Dude. Yeah. If you know what fucking happened,
0: just fucking say it. say it.
1: I mean, which according to her sister, he obviously did say it to the investigators cuz after they talked to him, if the statute of limitations hadn't run out, they would have had enough to charge him. But fucking pu- call People magazine. Yeah. Give them an exclusive. Right. Because we we all know what fucking happened. Right. We need somebody to say it out loud. Mm. So I hate this. Well, this
0: was a good one though. Yeah. But sad story, sad, sad life. Yes. Just sad From fucking
1: life. start to finish. That's what I'm
0: saying, Just you know, all together, what a sad life. Ugh. But Poor Natalie but...
1: She. We... Have you ever seen a picture of her? Yeah,
0: she's, she's real pretty. Gorgeous. Yeah. What
1: is this? Yeah, she was real pretty. Oh, that's my other. That's my other case.
0: So what are we doing next? Do um... You know.
1: We are doing an Australian kiss.
0: Oh, hmm. for our Australian, Australian fans, listeners, which yeah. I didn't know we had, and we have quite a few. of which, them.
1: Which that's my bit. I don't. I don't do the social media. Yeah, I do the Twitter, um, but I don't. I don't do the social media because I. I don't know how. I forget. Yeah. So Mark does it. So he knows where all of yeah. our listeners and
0: are. And another UK fan reached out to us. Really? Uh, yeah. So. We're going to have to do a UK case.
1: So I'm doing, I'm I'm already in the process. I have a book already. So the next case is Australian. We are doing Catherine Knight.
0: Okay.
1: Um, Not household name in Australia because they did not want to report it because it was so grotesque. Ooh, gotcha. So, um, I mean, true crime people know about it. I don't know about what it got in Australia, you know, yeah. at like... Obviously, they know about her because right. of her sentence and stuff. But right. um, the details were never really publicly released over, over there. Okay. Here in America, they're like, fuck it. Let us have it. Right. Tell us everything. So then I have that. And then I have a Canadian case Ooh. that I'm done with. All right. uh, and then I'm doing the UK case now. So okay. we got Catherine but Knight.
0: In between, we're going to need a Patreon.
1: We can make any one of these a Patreon.
0: I was thinking something else for Patreon.
1: Oh, yeah. We talked about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Pretty Uh good, too. Yeah. We're going to do that.
0: I think that would be... So we're going to
1: do Catherine Knight. Okay. Because we can... Guys, we may record every day next week. Yeah, we could. So Catherine Knight, and then my Canadian case is uh, Jasmine Richardson and Jeremy Steinke. Mm Mm-hmm. And my uk case is the should i, it, should, I should i be seeing this it's, yeah. it's the uh white house farm murders okay but we're doing a patreon in between and i'm not telling you what that one is yeah it's
0: gonna be a good one it's a secret yeah
1: it's gonna be good
0: oh it's good it's good so you know i'm gonna dig some shit up people are gonna have to sign up if mm-hmm. you're not already a patreon mm-hmm. cause it's gonna be a good one it it's gonna I'm, be, I'm excited for it, to be honest with you. I, I've wanted to do it for a, a while.
1: I. It's probably... It's going to be a long one because I don't like yeah. making Patreon episodes two parts. Yeah. So it's going to be a long one, I would assume, just oh, by I, what I've done already. I would think so. Um. So, yeah. And then, so... <coughs> oh, excuse me. Oh, my God. He, guys, he's a giant fucking walking booger. He's the Mucinex booger.
0: I know. Usinex works so good, though.
1: Aren't you glad I give it to you around the clock? Yeah. He's four, guys. He's I four. Am. I wake him up to give him his medicine. <laughs> you
0: do. <laughs> I give him
1: blow-by nebulizer treatments while he's sleeping.
0: You, know, you take care of me, mama. Mm-hmm. You take care of me. Mm-hmm.
1: I yeah. love you. You're fucking better. I love you, baby. He tries to sing.
0: Yeah, that was it. He thinks he
1: has the voice of an angel. I do, but he not did. when I'm stuffy. <laughs> from friends I'm fine <laughs> anytime you put a D at the end of fine you are not fine <laughs> <laughs> right
0: or when Phoebe has the cold and she sounds sexy
1: <laughs> I fucking love I love her could there be a good boy bring me a whiskey <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um. oh I was making fun of Teresa the other day because I always do Teresa my, my friend Teresa
0: yeah
1: uh She's going to New Orleans.
0: Yeah. New Orleans. New
1: Orleans. And she loves friends as much as I do. Yeah. So, of course, I found the pictures of Monica in Barbados. <laughs> <with> the hair. <laughs> I was like, this is going to be you. Yeah. yeah. Just so you know. And then there was another eyebrow comment. <laughs> Oh, it's something like oh, the bank teller told me I was overdrawn, and I said, "Sore your eyebrows? What do you want?" <laughs> I don't know why she still talks to me. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, really they, such a dick. Yeah, huge dick. Huge uh, dick.
0: All right, well, let's wrap this one up. It's getting a little little late. And, uh...
1: So, the website is there. Um, yeah. I'm we're we're gonna start making shit this weekend. Right. Um. There's going to be prototypes. So let us know what you guys want. Like t-shirts, sweatshirts, tumblers, hats, bags. What do you guys want? Let us know so we can so I can make it because he's not touching my fucking yeah, cricket. He's I'm, not coming
0: near I'm it. not going to be doing it. Um, yeah, that'll be you.
1: But for real, let us know what you guys want. Are there designs that you want? Or, you know, let us know. Yeah. And we'll start. I'll start. I'm, I'm so fucking excited like i almost peed when it came so
0: i know you were. and my heat
1: press is coming saturday awesome so yeah yeah
0: all right well thank you guys i hope you enjoyed this episode yes. and we will be back shortly with uh, another episode i mean the
1: cases are done so if i can get mark to record tomorrow yeah
0: you did a good job you know stacking them up
1: i tried yeah.
0: So it's been nice with you off work. I know. So.
1: I love it so much. We got to
0: keep it this way. I know.
1: We need so, sponsors. Yeah. HelloFresh. Right. Better help. Please. <laughs> Peace. 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 All right, guys. I'll make you a t-shirt. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Thank you guys for listening, and we will be talking to you soon. Bye. Bye.